Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast, episode number 19 already. Today, I'm joined by Chris. Chris, how's it going? Not bad. How are you, bud? Oh, you know, I'm I'm living. How's your Lent going? How's my Lent going? Yeah. Not bad. Just the average Lent, I guess. I'm not doing anything extra. Didn't dive into Exodus 90 or any of these uh, Lent no, programs this Nothing year. too extraordinary. You're a fan of the Little Black Book as we call it around here, aren't you? What's the little black book? The little black you book. Call it. Those little devotional books that we got. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I read those just you're, uh, you're, as much as I can. You know, uh, I work nights at a cheese factory, obviously. So I think the issue is just trying to find time to sleep and live yeah. and do what I have to do uh, opposite of everybody else. So I start off all my podcasts the same way, which is how do you drink your coffee? Well, so I'm very picky about my coffee. Okay. Uh, you pour it into the cup, obviously. And then you dash a little bit of cream in there, but you don't stir it so that the cream sits on the bottom and the black coffee sits on the top. So you put the cream in first, then the coffee. Yep. And no, no, coffee first, then the cream. And then it seeps its way down to the, the bottom? Sits, it sits on the bottom. So every time okay. you take a sip, you get a little bit more cream. Every every sip tastes a little bit different. So you get to the bottom, then it's creamy. Are you particular with the creamer? Do you have to use like flavored creamer or is it just like half and half like content for you? I'm pretty content with uh, just about any creamer, as long as it's nothing sweet. Okay, so some of those fancy ones. like the, When I first started drinking coffee, I loved going to Tops, and they have that section with creamers, and you'd find, like, the birthday cake one or the Reese's Pieces ones, and, like, your coffee, it tastes like something different every day. Yeah, yeah. I've had the Reese's, no, it's not Reese's, uh, Golden Grams. Okay, yeah, coffee yeah. Coffee creamer, and it's not that bad, you know, because I figured out it's going to be a sweet thing. I'm not a big fan of Golden Grams myself, but uh, it's not bad in coffee. I really like the birthday cake one. Oh, yeah. It's not as sweet as you think it is, but it's something about, like, birthday cake i feel like you eat birthday cake and then there's birthday cake flavored things and nothing birthday cake flavored actually tastes like birthday cake you know what i mean it's frosting flavored not cake it's frosting it's flavored, like frosting not cake. flavored. that's a better way to put it and yeah. that's the best part of the cake to begin with but like i feel like you're being lied to and you said you're eating you're drinking birthday cake because you're not no but it's good enough where it's like yeah but you know but it I brings know. the thought of birthday cake into your head when you're drinking it or eating it it makes you more happy than the cup of coffee already makes you happy because nothing beats a cup of coffee anymore. no not at all so, or in the afternoon. Or in the afternoon, depends on when I mean, you wake it's, up. It's really an in, in, uh, all day, all night kind of co- the coffee, you know. <laughs> so caffeine <laughs> doesn't get to you the way caffeine, like some people, right? Like, you know, yeah. some people, like after 4 o'clock, I can't drink caffeine, I'll be up all night. I'm like, man, I can drink a cup of coffee at 12.30 and go to bed at 12.35. Yeah. Coffee's coffee for me. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. Usually I'm tired enough to go to bed whenever. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't know, I just make it work. So, I want to start with talking about your upbringing. Before yeah. we get to like your Catholic faith now, of course, you're practicing Catholic now. Yeah. If you were to put yourself on a scale between, we went to mass on like on the lower end, like we went on Christmas and the important days, to we prayed a rosary every night after dinner and went to mass every Sunday. Where would you put your Catholic upbringing on the scale? Well, I'd say right about in the middle, square in the middle. Okay. Um, we went just about every Sunday, but not every Sunday. And if we missed it, somebody would call, "Hey, what are you doing? Why aren't you coming to church?" So, I mean, there, there was that always that pull to come to church, uh, but there was, there was never that serious obligation. So you went weekly, you, you went to faith formation at the Sunday school? Yeah. Did you go to Catholic school or did you just go to public school? Right public there? school. Public school and just Sunday school and the weekends yeah. and stuff? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Did you have any, like, big Catholic moments in your life, like, as a kid that your parents kind of got you into, that you're kind of looking back, you're glad you did? Like, did you get sent to that VBS that you, like, enjoyed, or was it really just you went to Sunday Mass because you knew you had to? What do you mean? Like, did you? Like, there was like a highlight moment where I like kind of it clicked for me. Not a highlight moment, but like, did you find yourself like some parents like 
they made sure their kids went to VBS every summer because that was like a thing they knew their kids had to do. Or was your parents more of just like, you know, we go to mass, they go to Sunday school, you live the traditional kind of American Catholic life? Well, I think, you know, my parents did their traditional thing. But but as for me, I wanted it. So I was the one who pursued it. And I was the one asking my parents, can I learn this? Can I do that? So I don't think my parents really had to try too hard to, to get me to do these things. I was actually kind of drawn to it. So, and did that help as you got older? Like when you got into high school, a lot of people, high school is when you start to question your faith and then go into college because you meet different people, you get interested in different things. Yeah. Because you always pursued your own faith, did you find it easier to keep up your faith in high school or did you still have that high school time where you kind of faded? I think we all have that, that, that faded time in our life. Um, but there is always that part of me that uh, always brought me back. Okay. That, that moral baseline, there was certain, you know, there was just certain things, you know, it's, it's Friday during Lent, I'm not going to eat meat, no matter what phase of my life I was in. It's kind of like, it's just one of those things. I'm a Catholic at heart, and that's what I have to do. Did you have that priest as a kid that made it easier for you to keep going back to the faith? Like for me, Father, everyone knows listening, like Father John was like everything to me as a kid. Like yeah. he made coming to church... I wanted to be here because I wanted to see Father John. Yep. I didn't know what was going on. So, same you know, guy, same guy. Father he, John he was, was that. Uh, he was my guy. He was my inspiration. He really uh, turned things on for me and encouraged me quite a bit. And it made it easier because he sought you out. Like he made a point to talk to young people. Yeah. yeah and well, there's yeah. a lot of priests who are good at that, but there's a lot of priests who are not good at targeting out young people. Especially the talent to pick out a kid who knows they care about their faith. Yeah. It's almost like they had that sense to them they knew they knew yeah Yeah. like there's something in them where like you know what i'm going to target this kid because i see something in them and it's amazing how the spirit works in that way right yeah well i think they're just prayerful people as it is you know i'm sure he does the liturgy of the hours he's always he was always kind of a prayerful man i knew he always had a prayerful heart so i think people who pray and are, are in touch with the holy spirit can kind of pick up on those things much more than anyone else you know priests have the time they're not tied down with a family and crazy obligations they have the time to do what they got to do as priests so I think that just kind of drew him in. So 16, 17-year-old Chris, getting to the end of your high school, you know, starting to talk about your future. What did you want to do when you came out of high school? Where, where did you go to college? What was kind of your plan? Um, I really didn't know. I, I really didn't know. So I figured, well, the military will pay for college. Okay. So I'll, I'll go play with them for a little while. So I did that uh, briefly. I ended up hurting my back in uh, basic training, and they sent me home earlier than I expected. So I, I came home without a, a paid college education you know so i figured well i'll get a free college out of it you know not and so doing much. something good too you know <laughs> and, and doing yeah. something good overall yeah but i learned a lot there even though it was kind of brief it was it was great you know i learned a lot about being a man and, and you know the the issues that, that face our country you know i mean the, all these things that you see on television are a soldier's problem you know when you see someone burning your flag in some foreign country that's that's an american soldier's problem it's not so much Hours. That's not Karen. We don't, we don't think about that. That's not Karen that's not, who works part time at Walmart's problem. Yeah, There's someone out there who's got to go fight that. to fix that issue now. Yeah, yeah. I get and, that. You know, once you uh, once it's your obligation to take care of people who are uh, threatening innocent lives, it's it's a wake up call. Yeah, you know, and it, it was it's it's very scary. You know? And I could imagine you start to take things. You become more observant. A lot yeah. of people I know in the military observe little things that most people kind of shrug off, but it becomes a bigger issue. Yeah, a lot of military guys I know, like they don't miss the five o'clock news because they need to know what's going on because there's always something that's going to trigger that self-defense kind of feeling inside of them. Yeah, it's either you love it or you hate it. There's those soldiers that'll watch the news and those who just don't care and would rather live in the woods and 
they've so served their time. They've yeah, done it. I'm done, done it. now. It's time for the young guy to come pick up the slack yeah, now. Yeah, I, okay. Yeah. So where, so you came home from the military. You're hurt. And, uh, so where did life take you then? You had to come up with something to do. Well, I, uh, I met a, a recruiter in college for uh, – or not college, in high school uh, who, uh, who advocated for Ohio Technical College. He said, if you want to do anything in your life, just, just get a trade. Learn how to weld. Learn how to fix cars. Do things that uh, most people just don't want to do, I guess. And uh, I decided to become a welder. Okay. And uh, I went to Ohio Tech for a year. I got a uh, technical diploma in welding technology and metallurgy. Uh, learned about welding and construction and all that. And uh, I became a, a union sheet metal worker for a number of years. I became a construction worker. I welded and did construction throughout the city of Buffalo for uh, almost seven years. What was college like for your faith? Did you... Can, did you get planned in a, like your campus ministry program? Did you find a parish there, or like how did that go for you? A uh, very challenging time. It was a very challenging time in my life because uh, it's kind of like the first time you really leave home and have time to yourself, uh, where you get away from your your normal thing growing up, I guess. Uh, and I, I had a friend of mine who was a was a Mormon, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and we used to talk as we were kids. And she said, "Why don't you just check out one of these services?" And I said, "No." Oh, I'll go if you check out one of mine. So uh, good trade off. <laughs> so, so I figured, well, you know, it's it's it's. I wanted to be open minded and learn about things, um, and so I went to uh, one of her services and met a lot of really good people. And I stayed around a little bit longer than I should have, I guess. What was the Mormon Church like? Like what was like what goes into being a day to day Mormon? Like for a Catholic, day to day for an average Catholic is I go to mass on Sundays yeah. and. I might say grace with my family before meals, and maybe I'm going to pray a rosary every day. Or I'm going to go to daily mass because it's my day off on a Wednesday. But like, what what is that? What's the opposite look like for a Mormon when it's not Sundays? I think what turned me on to that is that everybody was in action. It wasn't just a Sunday church. It was more of a well, Monday we're going to do this. Tuesday we're going to do this. Remember to fast. Remember to do this. And it was very, it was very uh, involved. Your faith was much. It was very much integrated into your life. Was it hard giving up things like alcohol, caffeine, like the things that the Mormons are very strict, like dietarily? It was. They're very like Old yeah. Testament Jewish in a way. Yeah. They're very strict to their law. Yeah, but I mean, when you know, when you give up coffee and alcohol and, and tobacco or whatever it may be, your mind is focused on the Holy Spirit much more stronger because there's nothing really holding your body down. You know, you're kind of really focusing on what what God wants rather than what your body wants, and it kind of puts your spiritual clock on the onto where it needs to be and that really that that really attracted me i felt like you know i, I wasn't using my faith to the best that i could i guess um and this church was going to help me do it what was some of the dogmatical problems you had with the mormon church like so right now for context you're sitting in a catholic rectory right you're back in the catholic church i'm not interviewing a mormon priest right what so like at some point you left was it a dogmatical thing eventually, or was there, like, what was that coming home to Rome moment for you then? Well, I think the first thing that came to mind was uh, the Eucharist. Um, I really believed that Jesus Christ was present in the Eucharist, and that was not the case in the Mormon Church. They would have uh, children or young adults, whatever it may be, consecrating bread and water, and they didn't have that kind of reverence for, for Jesus, as I kind of thought, you know, and that kind of threw me off. Uh, and secondly, the Book of Mormon. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I've read it numerous times, and it's in, it's an incredible book. It's um, a great Broadway musical. It is. It's a great Broadway it is. musical. I didn't go see it. <laughs> it's a great it's not musical. From Mormons, but it is, uh, you know, <laughs> very good musical. Um, 
But yeah, the Book of Mormon, I think, has some holes. Um, it has some holes that uh, I just couldn't seem to get an answer to. And every time I would kind of ask about it, they'd be kind of like, well, that's just, that's just a matter of faith. Okay. And when you hear that over and over again, it's kind of like, well, at, at what point is it not a matter of faith but common sense? And I, I feel like with a lot of other religions, especially Mormons, like they use that that phrase to escape teaching dogmatical and theological things. They don't want to have a tough intellectual conversation. Right. And so it's just easier for them just to say, well, you just have to believe. Right. You have to believe. Right. Pray and until like, it's true. The Catholic Church doesn't like Eucharist. You can experience. And, you know, it, it, there's a certain level of faith. You know, you you need the deposit of faith the grace through God to have the deposit of faith in the Catholic church, but so much of it, you can just rationalize and read about and come to practically. Yeah. I feel like other churches do not. Yeah. I mean, we have 2000 years of experience to figure these things out. Yeah. We have have endless amount of books and commentaries and and the saints. I think you look at the life of the saints and how, how God brought him himself through these saints as an example of his love for the people. And, uh, especially the Eucharistic miracles are almost undeniable. Was it hard for you to hide some of your parts of your faith? Like, I know, like, you're a big Marian guy. Like, the rosary is important to you. Like, I'm sure you can't mention Mary in a oh, Mormon church. Was, like, how does that go? I have. I remember it was Mother's Day, and I said, why don't, why don't you give a talk today on Mother's Day? I said, okay. So I think the best thing I'll do is I'll talk about Mary. As every church in the world should be doing a Mother's Day. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, I mean, who's the best mother in the world? Might as well talk about her. So uh, I gave a little talk about Mary and how wonderful she was, and it was very awkward. <laughs> yes. You know, we're Mormons. We're not we're not Marian people. No. You know, it's it's kind of the What is the reputation of Mary? Is she just like a prudent, virtuous woman to Mormons? Or what is the person of Mary in the Mormon faith? I don't think they really talk about her enough. Because I, I've brought up Mary. It's kind of one of those passages when she's mentioned, you just kind of, that's not the part you focus on yeah. when you read the Bible. They, they just don't have that Marian devotion like Catholics do. And it's always been kind of been rooted in me. And I'm always talking about, well, Mary's a wonderful woman. Why can't we talk about her too? I remember Why can't having, we talk yeah. about the apostles and everybody who surrounded Jesus? Because we're just like those people who surround Jesus. I remember having an argument with a Wesleyan. I spent a year interning in a Wesleyan church. I loved it. I mean, those people are just on fire and go great. Like... They just seem to never be upset about anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they're never complaining about anything. They're just naturally happy people, and it's such a good environment to be it's around. It's attractive. It's attractive, yeah. absolutely. And, like, like you know, kids talk about the vibe, right? Like, you had such a good vibe being in the Wesleyan Church. Yeah. But I remember, the, like, a Marian conversation. I was like, so how, like, when you read the story of, like, the Annunciation, how do you, like, skip over the main character in Luke's Gospel? And they're like, oh, we just talk about, like, how, like, that was so, like, the grace of God, how generous he was to bring himself into us. And I'm like, but, 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 but they used a human. Can we yeah. talk about the instrument that was used? And they're like, oh, well, instruments are nothing. It's all about, you know, God doing it and stuff like that. And, and, like, and when you use words like enunciation, they don't know what you're talking about. No, and that's. You have to go through that whole process of telling them what it is. Yes. <laughs> Before you can have the, the conversation that you want to have. What does the hierarchy of the Mormon church look like? Like, you know, in the Catholic church, like. I, you and I can't just go open up a Catholic church tomorrow. Like, there's a formal process to go to Rome and get this approved in your diocese. Like, they're like, you just can't open a parish. Right. Can you just open up a Mormon church? Like, can you buy the old building across the street and open up a Mormon church? Or how does that work? You could uh, open up a Mormon church just about anywhere. But you have to have a certain amount of people to do it. Um, they, they, they're, they're kind of like us. They have, um, they have a bishop. We would call him the stake president. Okay. Uh, we have a priest that leads our, our masses, and we, we would call them a branch president or a, um, 
Well, I had a branch president. Usually branches are smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a ward or president, they would call it. Um, so their they're, they're hierarchy is a little bit different. Um, and everybody's volunteered. Nobody gets paid in that organization. That's why I said that the church is very involved. Everybody's mm-hmm. involved. And everybody takes part in the services. Um, so it's, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things we talked about as Mormons. Is we say, you know, we, we, we did it all. And we go to these, these other churches. And it's just the priest doing all the work. Did you see the downside to that? Like not having someone who's full-time in Western ministry? Like if you needed to talk to your elder and it's like, well, I'm, I'm working my six to two in the union today laying brick, buddy. Like, can we, <laughs> can we do this after I'm done? Or well, uh, like could, did in your short time, did you notice like how that could be an issue? Like I see the benefit no, to having didn't. full-time ministerial people. Like if you need the attention of the Catholic church, there's always someone to call because there are people whose lot that this is their life. You, they have to be there for you. No. And I noticed that like the Wesleyan church, I had an issue planning an event I was running for them. And it's like, Oh yeah, well I get off at five, stop by the office and I'm done. And it's like, yeah, how do you yeah. run a church at, like around your schedule? That just seems so laissez faire to me. It was so hard to get around that concept. No, it, it works very well in their church because it's, it's not just one, we don't, we don't always go to the, the bishop or the, or the branch president. Uh, we can talk to just about anybody because we're all ordained to the same ministry. We're all followers of Jesus Christ and we all can help each other out. So it was never really, oh, I have to call somebody at the church to make something happen. I can, I can just talk to my friend on the phone. Hey, I just need a little help. What was your homecoming like? Like, what was your first mass? Do you remember your first mass after your Mormon stint? Like, what was that like finally? Like, how how did you bring yourself to then, like, come back to? Well, I always missed it. I, I've always missed the traditionalism of being a Catholic and, and attending these things. Um, coming back, was it's it, it was a learning experience. Um, because I think, you know, I left a lot. I didn't understand the church as much as I should have. And that's probably why, why I left in the first place. I didn't understand enough. So I really like being an open-minded person, especially out of college, you're kind of ready for anything that's, that's coming. Uh, so I figured, well, let's just see. And I just, uh, I dove into it and I went for it. Okay. And, uh, I, I found everything I was kind of looking for rather than that, uh, that old, we'll just have faith. You'll figure it out. Just have faith. I It'll come, come to you. Here. If you keep telling yourself you have faith, <laughs> it's just going to come to you eventually. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They, they, you didn't have to ask here. It's kind of like, well, we have a book on that. And uh, here it is in black and white. And here's the history books on that. Here's your answer in black and white. Yeah. And Open if, up I the mean, catechism. Here's there, the answer. There, there are certain things in our church that are quite mystical, like the Eucharist. I mean, can, can you imagine the, the, the body of Jesus being in a piece of bread? And trying to comprehend that and put that into black and white text. How do you explain and... that to people? It's, yeah, you know, it's, it's, and that's almost it's, where we return to the default. You need to just have faith, kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean that, that's it's. But you can experience it. You can live there. You can go to mass and see a woman weeping as she's in the communion line, and you know something's happening. Like there's a difference there. I yeah, feel like yeah. it's so laissez-faire going to a communion service in a Protestant church where it's just you just follow the person in front of you. You're not thinking about, oh man, when's my, my last confession been? Like, should I be going up right now? Or oh, it's okay if I don't go today. I'm not ready, and you know. Yeah. For them, it's just such a, you go, you follow the leader. The person in front of you goes, well, I'm going to get up and go. And then you don't really second guess. Like, I've had those moments. I've been in the communion line before. I'm like, you know what? I switch my mind. Like, I'm ready to receive. And I get in front of the priest and I cross my arms. Like, you know what? No, I got to go to confession. I'm not ready. I I can't receive communion today. Yeah. I think about that in the pew. Because once I stand up, I'm in line. I'm committed already. Once you committed, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But I think that's where he, it, if you... If a Catholic can take the liturgy of the word time and like the time, the penitentiary and the time to really reflect 
but that's like we we don't talk enough about and Emma, you can probably attest to this, like we don't teach enough preparing to go to mass. Yeah. We don't put the effort yeah, back in before to, uh, Vatican II, you, I mean, it was it was really kind of enforced that you had to fast before mass. Yeah, the fasting rule is something way out the window. Yeah, I'm always throwing off when people ask me, like, oh, can I go to communion? I ate that cookie 45 minutes ago. And I'm like, I think so. Like, yeah. I've never, like, I don't think about those things. Like, maybe it's for me so natural not to eat, like, 30 minutes before. And that's another thing, too, which I love. This is age-old debate. And it's so meaningless, too. My favorite debate in the church remains, like, if Catholic wedding should be able to happen outside. So there's this beautiful thing in the church, right? So there's certain things like dogma and there's certain teachings that are like, it's universally accepted that Jesus is present in the Eucharist. No matter what bishop, priest you are, you can't just teach otherwise. But there's other things that they leave up to the conference of bishops and then they can drop it as low as they want. So the the U.S. Catholic Conference of Bishops can say, this is our teaching in America. Or they can be like, you know what, we'll leave it up to the state conference. The state can say, we'll leave it up to each bishop individually. And one of them is outdoor marriages. You can't have a Catholic wedding outdoors in Buffalo, New York, but you can drive an hour to Rochester and have an outdoor wedding. Oh, wow. I didn't it's know up that. to the individual bishop. I it's thought one that of was those, just one of those things that you didn't do as a Catholic. It's, it's one of those things that should just be taught, like you should be in a sanctuary. Yeah. Why wouldn't and you as be a in a Catholic, church? Wouldn't, wouldn't I know that? And, and like, <laughs> you know? wouldn't you want to? That's yeah. always wouldn't my back to? end. Is like, wouldn't I want to just have the tabernacle in the background of my wedding photo? Like, I feel like that's just part of. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's a sacrament at the end of the day. In the end of the day, it's a sacrament. Thank you. Yeah. It's a sacrament. <laughs> at the end of the day, like, I love when people get so bent out of shape about I'm leaving the church because I can't get married in my garden, and it's like, really? That's, yeah. Well, where's your heart at? I'm like, is that you know? really what matters to you deep down? Is where your wedding photos are taken? Like, drive over to Knox Park after your wedding. I don't care what you do after your service, but. Sacraments should be administered with the exception of like viaticum and the anointing of the sick, like certain things. Sacraments should, if able-bodied, should be in the sanctuary. Yeah. I'm a firm believer of that. Yeah. And I get if you're visiting a hospital and you're on your deathbed, of course you're going to receive communion anointing. It's like, I'm not going to transplant you to the church just to do this. I understand there's certain circumstances, but... Right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a covenant between you, your spouse, and God. If you're two able-bodied 28-year-olds getting married, there's no reason why you can't be in the church. Yeah. You don't have to be in your backyard. Yeah. Unless you're going to tell me your grandma's couch bound and she's in your living room you're gonna open up the bay window for her to watch i might have a little bit of sympathy for you but other than that i'm really <laughs> not gonna you're not gonna convince me of a good reason why not to do that well especially if you're practicing catholic yeah you know, but it's it, just... if your faith means something to you you're gonna prioritize your faith over the aesthetical feeling of a nice garden wedding but and, i also feel like the people who want to do that aren't sunday church going people yeah they're, they're people, just kind of like well i was confirmed here like you know 12 whatever many years ago and uh, i'm just here for a wedding now i <laughs> i've noticed in my time being in churches that there's people who like i'll say they're in their 20s or 30s usually like our age and they'll like all of a sudden you'll see them for like two or three weeks in a row and i always make a bet with myself like they're either going to ask for a letter of recommendation to be a godparent or they're going to put in a marriage request and sure enough like a month later they put in a request to be a godparent it's like yeah. ah yeah. They know they they know enough church teaching where they have to make their presence known for a little bit. Yeah. Or someone yeah. where the priest can be like, Oh yeah, I saw you. You were at nine nine o'clock mass last three weeks. Of course I'll, you know, yeah, let I saw you, you go. for the past month, you're good to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you don't really think you know, and people like play the rule like it's like, because that's really what you know, if you look at canon law to be a baptismal or a godparent, you have to be practicing your faith. You have to get a letter of recommendation from your pastor that you are an active, present, participating member in the Catholic Church. Yeah. And it's that easy to just 
cheat that. And no, I hate to say that they're cheating, be. but it's you like... Know, and it's a shame that it has to be like that. But they care enough to like... And I hate the people who do it because it's like to make other people happy. Yeah. I've noticed that working with confirmation kids for so long, he's like, you know what? If you're not ready, it's... And I always tell him, it's easier for you to make your sacrament at 16 in faith formation and just get it done with. Even if you don't practice for the next 20 years, you're done. You've hit your sacrament. So when you want to come back and get married... There's no hurdles to hump. Because our say process is long. And it's gruesome. And it really requires a lot of spiritual effort and physical effort for you to go through our say to get confirmed at 35. Now you're married with kids, a job. You're living your life. The last thing you want to do is have to come every Tuesday night for 13 months to, to get your, your classes out of the way, quote unquote. And it's like, that's like, oh my gosh. Like when it comes to that, like those kind of things. So yeah, how, like, how does that work in like the Mormon church? Like, if you were to have stayed and you met the love of your life and she was a Mormon, you were to get married. Like, are there, like, things like that? It is, but you have to be much more devout to it. You have to become somewhat committed. I mean, they really look for you for a long period of time, and they expect you to stay involved mm -hmm. after whatever sacrament you're looking for. They really kind of seek you out and make sure that you're on the right path. You know, and, and I kind of wish that we were a little bit more like that. But I mean, I feel like at church, the same time, you could kind of feel entrapped in that. I feel like churches get shorthanded a lot because we're the only organization where integrity means something. Your word means something. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt if I'm an ordained minister and I'm going to marry you and you make the vows in front of God saying you're going to be a part of this community and then you, I don't see you for 30 you years. Dip. Yeah. You're supposed to get your word, but like in 2022, that integrity is out the window. Yeah. It's all about the, the mighty dollar. Can, and I, can you sign here and I can get married here and uh, we'll talk to you whenever, <laughs> the next funeral. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll talk to you when you have your first kid and you need to go to baptismal classes in four years from now or whatever. Yeah. It may and then be. we'll see you for a month and... Uh... And then, yeah, after that, we'll see your kid at his first reconciliation. We'll and then see, it's like, like this. just pray that it, hopes out, that it comes out that way. We hope it's at least for, yeah, at least yeah, get them yeah. through their first communion. Don't deprive these kids some, anymore. That's something you should kind of agree to when you get married, that you will you will raise a Catholic family. And it is. It's in the Catholic vows. Yeah. It's in the rights. It's kind of what you have to do. That's you, your responsibility. I shouldn't have to second guess someone who makes a vow in front of God if they're going to fulfill it. But we've come to an age where you have know, to second-guess I don't know if people that. really understand it, though. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not, they're not really fully grasping what's going on in that church. You and know, it shouldn't just the be... time a... they hear those things, it's kind of too late. They're already at the marriage ceremony, and they heard all these covenants that they're going to have to follow. And maybe, I know I've never been married. I can't really speak for married people, but, I mean, I'm just assuming. Maybe those people really aren't understanding. The, and the responsibility the shouldn't all be on the priests to enforce that in the three premarital investigation meetings they have that's not enough time 3 pmi meetings is not enough time to convert someone to get them full on board yeah. you take them at their word they check the boxes they seem like good people you take their integral word that they're going to be around and yeah what else can you do that's the like that's the sad part but is at like, the same time it's it's good that they're doing it mm -hmm. i mean even though that they are um not as involved as they should be at least they have the heart to come and I've done it. Doing it in the right place. I've, you know, I, I can give them that. I've done a conf couple confirmation interviews and flat out have been told, I don't believe in God, but if I don't do this, my grandma will kill me. <laughs> and if that's your mentality to going into this, like, sure, I pray the grace of that sacrament when the bishop puts it oil on your head is going to change your life, and that's all you can do. Yeah. As someone who works in catechetical, like. It works in catechesis. It works yeah, in formation. You leave those things to the Lord. That's all you can do. And like I, I, I found myself so much in the last three or four years doing this. Of like that's my whole prayer life 
is praying that like, okay, we didn't do enough for you. Your parents aren't doing enough for you. I just pray the grace of that oil on your head does something to kick a fire into you. And if it doesn't, God will figure it out. Yeah. Kind of don't stress about it anymore. And I I think I spend a lot of my time, and like you can attest this because you're getting to an age where like you're going to think about family and kids at some point if that's the goal you desire in life. And like you can run yourself rampant getting anxious about, I mean, do I really want to have kids? Do I really want to have that 14-year-old who denounces God and I'm a super involved at my parish? And like it's got to be anxious for parents. I cannot imagine the anxiety on young parents nowadays who actually care about their faith. Yeah. Yeah, kids are very unpredictable, and so is your future. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. You know, let alone 10 years from now, let alone 20 years from now. You never know. You know, I mean, mean, what kind of age are the kids going to grow up in? Yeah. You know, I mean, mean, the kids that are going to school now are going to a different education system than I did. They're learning completely different things. You know, it's it's, it's nuts the way time changes. Have you looked at, like, the way math has changed even since we've been out of school? Common Core is terrible. Gosh, like every year they change the way to do long division, it looks like. Yeah. And it's like, how and, you know, they, you these kids come home and they ask for help from their parents, and the parents are like, I didn't learn this way. Yeah. And then that's it. No help from home. <laughs> I love my dad had the attitude of like, go get a calculator. That's why they invented him for. And I'm like, I would love to, but my teacher wants to see something yeah. for some reason. I can't have a calculator in school. That drives you know? me nuts. But then once you graduate, it's all you use. And, you know, I, I, to, to be honest, I can't do long division on paper anymore. I would have to reteach. The, I'd have to reteach myself. But you can put it in your calculator For on your sure, iPhone. That's and all we do now because our calculators are in our pockets. <laughs> I always said, if ministry doesn't work out, I'm running for president. You know, it's the first time I'm going to do as president. I'm going to appoint myself head of the U.S. Educational Department, and I'm going to redo the national curriculum because I don't understand why you put these kids through so much anxiety and stress with their parents through high school to teach them how to do things that as soon as they get out, they don't have to do it that way because there's no pressure. I've never met a person who's graduated high school and has gone into finance or economics and accounting and is told, well, you have to show all your work. All these yeah. people care about is you get the out. right number and get your job done. Yeah. I don't care if you use a calculator. You'd be stupid not to use a calculator. If I worked in some accounting firm and some kid came to me and I saw him with a pad and pencil, I'm going to make fun of him for not <laughs> using a calculator. Blatantly, I'm going to make fun of you. Yeah. Why aren't you using the thing that we invented Calculators to make easier? Don't make mistakes like mm-hmm. humans do. It just drives me nuts that that's what the education system has come to. Yeah. And then they drive kids into college, like four-year colleges. And as soon as they get out of high school, they're like, oh, you know, I'm free. Now, this, that's, this is a very expensive mistake for children. They, yeah. go, they go into these, these four-year colleges. They party their asses off. Excuse my language. But, I mean, they, they don't go to college and learn what they have to learn. And the then the, part, and the, then the part, kids who take their educational there. seriously are outcasts and have no friends, and they're socially amped to not do anything in life because, oh, I, you don't fit in because you take your education seriously. Like, there's no middle ground anymore for kids. Yeah. You're either labeled as a nerd or you're a frat kid, and there's no in-between in college. You can't balance. You can't go out with your friends on Fridays and take your schoolwork seriously on a Tuesday. That's why you go to trade school like I did. That's why you nice. learn the well. <laughs> Yeah, because you know you what? Know, I got the experience of school and uh, everything else. I'm worried in 40 years from now when my toilet breaks that I'm not going to be able to find a plumber. I'm going to have to fly him in from Massachusetts because that's the only place I'm going to be able to find him. Because you don't see him anymore. All these parents like who have like plumbing businesses with these dreams of passing them off to their kids. You know, you see like Smith and Sons all over the place. And it's yeah. like... At the end of the day, it's just figure it out. Good luck. Your kid's going <laughs> to go be a frat boy and major in economics. And he's going to come back and help your business for three years to fix the books because you were never taught how to balance the books. And then he's just going to go off somewhere else. 
Yeah. Who's going to be a TikTok influencer in five years? Because that's hopefully, apparently the new dream. He makes that kind of money. Oh, yeah. I if the money's good. Money talks, apparently. And yeah. hopefully he's like a, like a Catholic podcaster on TikTok or something like that. You know, making a nice, wholesome... Man, there's some good Catholic content on the internet. Yeah. I have to say, we're getting better. Yeah? As Catholics. Like, I personally listen to a lot of Matt Frad. I'm a big Pines with Aquinas junkie. Yeah. Do you have Do you have certain priests you find yourself... And I'll, I'll preface this with, I love the... I don't love the COVID age that we just got out of. Yeah. But what I loved about it is all these churches that spent thousands of dollars on live streaming equipment and they feel the desire to keep getting bang for their buck and they're going to keep using it. I love sitting down on a Sunday afternoon and being able to watch 14 different homilies. Yeah, that is pretty cool. You no, know nice that is, especially like in the Catholic church and like every six or seven years, you might get a new pastor. Guys don't stick around for 40 years. You develop a relationship with these guys. You really enjoy the way they look at things, and they get reassigned. It's so nice being able to go find their new parish and their new live streaming and get that that homily. Yeah, it's it's cool. Like you know, when we have priests coming through this parish or deacons at the time, and they become priests, and you get to follow them online and see how they turned out, and you think, wow, you know, these homilies are incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm really glad that things worked out in the end. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's really cool to watch the progression of. Uh, of a, a vocation. Did know, you feel like in this parish? Did you feel like you were offered enough enough as a kid to like grow your faith? Offered? Like, did you feel like there was enough opportunities to like in your parish alone where you were able to like grow in your faith? Did you feel like you were adequately prepared to be a practicing Catholic in the in the mess that we are in now? I think the catechesis could have been better. I think that's that's one thing is there's a lot of things that I didn't understand. And that's why I think that's why I left the church in college is I just didn't understand. And nobody was really, I can't say that nobody wanted to teach me because I'm sure there's plenty of people out there, but I didn't have the resources to know. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of in an age where the internet was kind of coming out where you could, you know, the internet wasn't a big thing back then, I guess. Yeah. You know, I really no, didn't I, have all these social media things and I had to learn things a different way. You know, it wasn't as accessible as it is now. I mean, you could, you could learn anything on the internet, but back in 2012, not so much. I mean, that really wasn't the place for me, I guess. Do you think kids are going to be better off going forward, even though we have a secular society? Do you think kids are better off who want to be Catholics because there's so much out there? Yes. If they're looking for it, I think they'll find it. If you, if you're really looking for it, there's plenty of resources to find it. I've taught myself to be an auto tech because of YouTube. Yeah. I haven't paid for a mechanic in three years because I have enough of a knowledge of how cars work, and if anything I don't understand, there's a YouTube video. Yeah, I was looking up how to bondo my uh, my rocker panel back on because I don't have a rocker panel on my truck. But YouTube taught me in 15 minutes, so I'm going to go out there my next day. See, off I don't even know what a rocker panel. panel is. I mean, half the problem for me is trying to figure out what is that bar or whatever that is. So the rocker panel is, <laughs> you know how you have your doors, right? Yeah. Then there's that little piece of trim before the gap, like before your truck ends, that little six-inch gap of siding there plastic or is it like a piece of rubber it's a carbon plat carbon uh not carbon monoxide my lord i'm tired um <laughs> carbon fiber the things that hockey sticks are made out of okay like plexi not plexiglass carbon fiber carbon fiber turns out kind of car you drive i guess i guess so that little piece of siding below your door for your truck guns that last little part that's your yeah. rocker panel okay. and in western new york salt eats that alive because that's the first place it hits when it kicks up off the road from your tires. It's right in the, the yeah. shot of salt. So a lot of rocker panels go quickly. Hmm. And I didn't know that. Never, I've never guess I've never had one. I guess. And mine's uh, just completely <laughs> rusted out because of living in Buffalo. Well, you got an old truck. I usually have a pretty new car most of the time. Yeah. 
you know, my car hits a hundred thousand miles and I sell the thing. And it's probably like, that's good. Usually when, it, when it, things start going south, I'll, I'll get a new one. That, that, <laughs> that's, that's probably a good, uh, good approach to it. Yeah. Yeah. And with today's economy, I mean, the car market's terrible. Yeah, so you're better off buying a Facebook marketplace and finding a buddy who knows how to fix things than just trying to take in your luck on something. That's why I know you. I just give you a call because I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I can I can change your oil, but I really don't want to. Remember <laughs> when your car wouldn't shift out of drive? Or what was it, stuck in neutral? Oh, it was stuck in park. And then all we had to do was punch the thing hard enough. and then it Yeah, I called you, and I was on the phone with the dealership, and he said, just punch that little knob in front of your, uh, you know, right there in the center there. <laughs> Yeah, punch I said, your punch it. You want me to punch it? He said, "Yeah, just whack it with your hand as smart as hard as you can," and it worked. I'm like that's all you had to do. He said, "Oh yeah." And if you would have took it in, they would have charged you four hundred and fifty bucks. He was about you. to get towed. The tow truck was just about on its way, and he said, "No, just smack the thing." And Never had a problem ever since. There we go. So, <laughs> if your car is ever stuck in park, if you have a, if you have a twenty seventeen <laughs> Ford Focus and you can't get your car to park, just smack that center knob. Fixed. Imagine if, like, <laughs> that's how faith worked in kids. Smack it hard just enough. Sm- he'll recognize Jesus kids. in the Eucharist. <laughs> yeah, he'll figure it out. Imagine if it was that easy. Do you, um, so, like, because you're an, you're an adult and you're practicing Catholic and stuff like that, like, what, like, the cover the internet obviously has a lot, but, like, if you really aren't the kind of person who likes to use the internet and you're not the, you know, you're not going to the internet for everything, that's just not your personality, like, what do you, like, look for for like to keep your faith alive especially like, during lent and stuff too like where yeah. you really take it seriously um archbishop fulton sheen used to say he used to have a holy hour every day and i think that if you find a little bit of time throughout your day you know even though it may not be an hour um if you just find a little bit of time for the lord it should be enough but you really got to set your time aside you can't be you got to put your phone away you got to sit down and and read something that's spiritually fulfilling or, uh, I mean, I, I love the Eucharistic adoration. I can just sit with the Lord and uh, I'll just sit there and listen, whether that be in silence or whether I'm reading. And it's kind of let the Lord do the talking. You know, something, you know, it's, uh, you know, my prayers aren't always sitting, uh, kneeling and, and talking with the Lord. Most of the time it's sitting and listening. And uh, that, that works for me. As uh, much as I love adoration, I love bush light. Oh, the yeah. problem with pounders is that they get warm really quickly. We've only been at this for 30, 38 minutes. I'm not a big fan of Bush. Beer's already it's a light beer. It's too light for me. Man, it's all that. You need a Molson Canadian, and uh, you'll be fine. Molson Canadian. <laughs> did, did, did you, did, I, I often, there's a story of you and I that I use in my catechesis class. In fact, I don't know if I've ever told you. This is a good platform to, to, tell, to tell my analogy, right? Okay. We were in Cleveland, Ohio. You love Cleveland for yeah. some awful it's reason. My college town, love it. Everyone loves your college town. Yeah, I don't care if you go into the sticks in Iowa on the cornfield. Like I you, lived in a very terrible part of town. You it love those cornfields, yeah. But uh, it was, it was no matter nice what city. happens, college towns always got a place in your heart because yeah. of the memories you had there. Yeah. So we went, and we were gonna just go grab some drinks and some food, and we were gonna enjoy our day in Cleveland. Went to the Rocco Hall of Fame, I think, beforehand, and you know, we were just taking inside. You saw the cathedral, which was really, really cool in Cleveland. Yeah. Um, and you wanted to order a Molson Canadian. <laughs> they were like, I'll have a Molson Canadian. Waitress, a what? A what? Molson. Or oh, first you said just a Canadian. I just said, I'll take a Molson. And she's oh. like, what's a Molson? A Molson Canadian. <laughs> she's like, what's a Molson Canadian? I'm like, okay, 
what do you have for beer? Because you, we're you packing up have... and leaving this establishment. And we went to a couple bars that did not have Molson Canadian, and I was very disappointed. And that's where we thought about finding the piece of cardboard, the right to use on Molson. Why go in there? If you're, I mean, a Molson Canadian is my favorite beer, and it's just a good, it's just a good beer. It serves and the purpose. I can't, yeah, it's just a good <laughs> middle of the road beer, and if I can't get it at a bar, I don't know. I'm really I'm kind of lost when I can't get a Molson Canadian at a bar. <laughs> but I managed to turn this story into. A, a Catholic analogy, right? Because I talked about the beauty of the church is that there's a saint quote, and I'm going to ad-lib it, but it's like the church is a rich depository. It's like a bank. It has a rich depository of devotions. There's something for everyone. No one can tell me the Catholic church doesn't offer what I need. First of all, it offers you Jesus Christ in the Eucharist and God the Father. And if that's not good enough for you, well, you can find your rosary, your chapel. You can find your devotion that'll make you... Yeah. Make you stick, There's right? religious orders and different ways of life. Exactly. Yeah. There's a thousand different things that'll make you, that's Catholic, that'll make you stick. I don't care if your thing is you read the catechism cover to cover every year and that's the way you stay in tune to your faith. There's something for everyone yeah. out there. That little niche. Yes. Yeah. And I said, sometimes when you're in a parish community, they don't emphasize that enough. You know very well, especially in Buffalo, like there's certain parishes that like you know where you can get a traditional sense of the faith, and you know where you can get more of a modern sense of the faith, like a Vatican II approach. Both of them are great, and both of them offer something to the right person. Because some people are going to go to like a Latin mass and be like, I'm never going to church again. That was horrible. Yeah. Other people <laughs> will only go to that because if they hear a guitar, they're going to snap. Yeah. And or, that's okay. Or a drum set. Or a drum set. Yeah, and there's something for sets. everyone, right? <laughs> no matter what it is. And that's okay. If you need to hear a rock band in order for you to fall in love with the Eucharist, by golly, I'm going to hire you the best one possible because my job ultimately is to draw you closer to Jesus Christ. Right. But I said, sometimes you don't get discouraged because that small town you were brought up in doesn't offer what you want. Sometimes you need to make that Molson Canadian cardboard sign and go around and shop your way around for a parish. And I'm not an advocate of parish bouncing. Yeah, I'm an advocate yeah. of if you live in a town, you belong to your home parish and you, you bring to it what you want and you make it what it is. Yeah. But you also have to find what you're looking for. You got to find what you're looking for. And if yeah. you really ultimately come to the point where you have a pastor in your town, who's just not on board with, and I've met pastors who are just like, you know, we don't pray the rosary in my parish. It's old school. It's outdated. We're not doing that. I'm like, good. I'm going to pray for your soul, but I'm going to go elsewhere. Yeah, I'm going to pray the rosary for you. I'm going to pray the rosary for you <laughs> in Latin probably. And then I'm going to, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to leave your parish. Yeah. And I said, and like speaking to young people, especially, I said like, you know, you're going to see things on the internet that are attractive to the faith. Make your cardboard sign and go out looking for that. I never want, I don't want to run into you in 20 years in Walmart. And you to tell me, I haven't been to church in 15 years. So I couldn't find what I was looking for. Yeah. You know what my favorite quote is, is, is you never let the church get in the way of your relationship with God. Yeah. The church is... You know, you got to find God. I mean, God is everywhere. He created everything. I have a so. quote on my phone, which you're going to love, because it kind of covers um, everything. <laughs> it says, Judas had the best pastor, the best leader, the best advisor, the best counselor, yet he failed. The problem is not the leadership or the church you go to. It's if your attitude or character doesn't change or your heart doesn't transform, you will always be the same. Yeah. And I love that. I've never paid enough attention to the story of Judas in Scripture until I read that quote. 
Yeah. Think of it. He had the high priest himself, and he couldn't figure out how to make his faith work. Yeah. It's not... His humanity gets in the way. It's not the hierarchical structure of the church. It's not that you have a bad... Don't tell me you have a bad priest. Yeah. They don't exist. You know What, what I, you I, have I is a priest that doesn't spiritually feed you the way that your soul wants to be fed. Right. And either you can adapt your mindset and convince yourself that what you need is here... Because every church is going to offer you the Eucharist and is going to offer you a relationship with God. If you can't convince yourself you can find that here, then go. Then go find find somewhere that's there's, going there's to do a way. it. I mean, I prefer um, the Franciscan way. Yeah, I, I like the Franciscan devotion because they're they're very much uh, animal oriented. You know, I'm a hunter and I'm a fisherman, and I connect to God that way, and I love those things. You know, um, and they're also very Eucharistically, if that's the word, Eucharist centered people. They always seem to have like an adoration chapel, and there's always a priest or a monk or somebody sitting there worshiping Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. And I, I found prefer that. And if I go to like maybe like a Jesuit church, I might not find that. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there, there's definitely ways around. I think that's for. the beauty of the religious orders to begin with. Yeah, like finding that's why they're there. Every parish, every diocese is blessed to have some religious order in it that's yeah. going to offer you a little bit different of a perspective. Everybody wants to be a monk for a day, and some people want to be a monk for the rest of their lives. Yeah, and find the yeah. monk for the rest of your life. Because yeah, <laughs> God bless Thomas. He's not listening to this, but God bless <laughs> yeah, that man. Right. I rely, yeah. it, if I end up in heaven, Thomas is being accredited for it. Yeah. And I hope I live long enough to put towards his canonization cause, because that man is yeah. going to change lives. He is a great man. But He's a great man. I, um... But I was, this Dominican was being interviewed at UWTM. He was talking about his Lent experience and like the pro, like people struggle with like fasting. Like someone was questioning like, oh, isn't that archaic? Like people are so on the go and stuff. You can't deprive yourself of food. It's medi- scientifically proven. It's not how, you know, you get the, the secular crap of like, oh, it's scientifically proven. You can't do that. That's bad for you. No, 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 no. I'm like, oh, shut up. Just like, let me do my thing. But anyway, <laughs> he's like. What do you mean fasting is hard? The only thing I've had since Lent started was the Holy Eucharist and one dill pickle. <laughs> and like, and like, and, and, one and, dill pickle. and then he's like, and I went to confession for the dill pickle. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, you know what? Like, that's awesome. That like someone found him. something that like, it, it shows the power of you can truly just be fed off of Jesus. Yeah. And that's the problem. And you know, maybe that's the problem with the church is everything you see online is so traditionally oriented. And I'm a traditional guy. I'm a very traditional Orthodox Catholic. I really, like, believe me, if I could put things back in Latin, put an organ in every church, I'm passing out chapel veils for free on the way in the door. Like, that's just my kind of style. But that's me. That works for me. Other people are going to look at that and be like, you're nuts. I'm like, good. I am nuts. I'm nuts for Jesus. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, Hope they made you happy telling me that. See you at the next funeral or wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) See you at Uncle Jimmy's wedding. Yeah. Yeah, So be it. And, like... (laughs) I feel like people will see this stuff online because the the on, the Catholic world online is very traditional. Yeah, like it's very like EWTN. It depends on what you follow, though. E-W-T- because really, what you find online is what you want to see most of the time. So you don't know. EWTN dominates the internet, yeah. and they're more of a traditional Catholic teaching. Mother Angelica is a very traditional woman. Yeah, God I, bless I her. I follow a couple of pages. You know, the Catholic News Agency. Uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen pages. Ah, I love Fulton. Love that man. What a hero. Yeah. It's a shame he never became Pope. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. how I feel about Bishop Strickland right now. It's like, I know he's never going to be Pope, but God, I wish he was a Pope. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just the, the American Pope, you know. We should talk about the I consecration because I know, that's something that you you follow. Like you're enough in tune in your uh, faith where you follow things like that, like Fatima and consecration and stuff like that. Yeah. 
where do you stand on the fact that he did that? Because some people are going to tell you, Sister Lucia said that John Paul II fulfilled the consecration requirements. Right. Meaning it should not have to be done again by that logic. Right. So some people said, well, because Pope Francis pissed off a lot of traditionalists with his modo proprio on the Latin Mass, do you think he did it just to please traditionalists? What I think he did is he... Because um, I've seen a lot of traditionalists now are all of a sudden Franny Frans because he did the consecration. Maybe it just had to be done. I mean, if he is the Supreme Pontiff, which I believe he is, if he is mm-hmm. the successor of St. Peter, then God will lead him into whatever he needs to be doing for our church. Um, and I, I think he did, he did a great thing, you know, because when the world is in trouble, we should be turning to our Blessed Mother. You know, that's not something that should be ignored. I think that he put a little bit more weight onto the onto the Blessed Mother and, and our faith, you know, rather than, all right, we're, we're just going to pray for you. No, let, let's really sit down for a minute and uh, consecrate ourselves and our intentions to, to Mary. That's how I look at people like Mormons and like the Marian devotion thing. It's like, you know what? You're eight years old and you fall and scrape your knee rollerblading. Who's the first person you're going to? And they're going to tell you, oh, I go to my mom so she can kiss my wounds and make me feel better. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Point noted. No, I'm going to tell you when I'm spiritually ill, I go to my mother, Mary. Yeah. They're like, well, you can't do that. It's like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, when, when I'm spiritually hurt, who am I going to go to? When, you I, just, when I spiritually scrape my knee. You just said you go to, you just said that you go to your mom when you're hurt. But when I go to my mom, it's yeah, blasphemy yeah. to you. And Nobody it's like, what? Nobody loves you like your mother. Yeah. Nobody no, loves you like your mother. No one loves you or knows you like your mother. Yeah. Everyone, yeah. and when you, like, you, you put it the best way, when you spiritually scrape your knee, who are you going to? <laughs> yeah. And the church right now is very much bruise both their knees. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I feel like I'm watching the church unfold right now, and I remind myself of, like, old mafia movies in, like, Boston and New York, and they talk about, like, I'm going to take your kneecaps, Jimmy Rigatoni. <laughs> and both of our kneecaps have been taken. Yep. And they've been shipped off to Taiwan. But you know what? We're still and they've walking. been buried underground. We're still walking. We're crawling. We're crawling, but you know what? The people who are here are very devout. And we're moving. We're, we're various. The people who are still attending church have the endurance and the faith to know that this is where the truth is. Father Sean Di Maria reminds me constantly that the church is going to get smaller and more devout. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing. It's Maybe. unfortunate that, that not as many people are devout, but I mean, it's good to have those devout. It's better to have quality or quantity. Maybe Vatican II moved in a direction where we were so focused on bringing everyone to the faith, and maybe after all, we're getting to a point where we're going to close a chapter, and we're just going to look at the people that are here and feed them. Yeah. Which is where I have a big issue with, and I know you're knowing you, I know that you appreciate the Latin Mass. Right. You're not a trad. That's not like, you're not, I'm only going to a Latin Mass, but you right. enjoy going. It fulfills a part of me that I just need every once in a while. It's a devotional to you that you, you, you're, you're glad it exists. Right. So I know I can talk about like the situation with that with you because you understand where I'm coming from with it. And a lot of other Catholics listening understand the the, the fairy tale love affair, as people put it with it, right? So that's my issue with why I have an issue with Pope Francis to begin with is the church is smaller. Why are you going to take away something that's going to remove more people from it? And that's how I look at this. And maybe really it's my. Think it's going to remove people because I think those people that who are going to who are going to Latin masses are pretty devout as it is. I think the problem is you don't have the SSPX in communion with Rome, and I think people are going to start taking that option seriously. And you're yeah. going to see people voluntarily excommunicating themselves. And I know a couple people in Buffalo who have excommunicated themselves over this issue. 
Well, you know, also, I think even though we are the church of Jesus Christ, we also are the church of man. And I think maybe, maybe, Pope Francis made a very uh, human um, decision and didn't quite understand the weight of it. Maybe. Maybe. You know, I'd, I'd hate to undermine the church because it's been around for 2,000 years. But, you know, you know, it's also very healthy to ask questions. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I, I'll never undermine the office Pope Francis holds. And I respect him. Like, he is the authentic pope. I'm not yeah. one of those. He's the antichrist right. kind of guy. He is the pope. There is no denying that that's the man in white. That's our pope right now. And I pray for him every day. I pray for his intentions every day, as I should as a Catholic. And every Catholic worldwide, you should pray for the pope's intentions every day. He's Christ on earth right now. Right. He's mentioned in every mass. This is who we have. Right. And I hate to, I hate this to. This is what the Lord gave us. So. I hate to reduce it to that as this is what we have because it sounds like sarcastic and stuff in a way, but it is. This is what we have. We have this guy. Let's figure him out. Let's figure out what to make the most out yeah. of what he's what doing. Is, what is God trying to do? And I'm really struggling with that. I'm yeah. really struggling at convincing my mindset of, yeah, we have to. This is who we have. You can't remove him. Well, I just wonder how many times in church history have we changed like this? There's been so many supreme pontiffs, so many popes who have changed things, especially when Vatican II came around. We've had so many bad popes, too, in the past. Like We've had popes who were married six times with seven kids and made their kids cardinal yeah, at birth. A very political organization. Very, very political. And we, yeah. we've moved on from that, praise praise God, that we fixed those issues. And yeah. like in retrospect, we're not dealing with any a bad pope. You put in that context, Pope Francis is great. Yeah. He cares about the church. He cares about creation. He's very pastoral. He's very humble as well. He's very humble. Yeah. He, he he cares for the poor. He's very big on the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. And that's praise God. We need someone to teach those things. In retrospect, he's not bad. And it's probably the angry part of me that reads certain things he says. Well, we grew up in a St. John Paul II age, Pope yeah. Benedict age, a very traditional aspect of, of papacy. And it's a shame because that's the church like I fell in love with. Yeah. I fell in love with a Ratzinger church. But how many people are falling in love with the church today? that haven't been reached in the past few decades. Yes. So but, maybe this is a good thing. And then I weigh that with how many people are leaving. And who do you care for? How many people for? were leaving in the other region? Who do you care for first? Do you care for the the one out of the 99, like the scriptures tell us to? Or are you going to now? I feel like sometimes we cater to the 99 and not the one. But those people who are, who are leaving, they're not really leaving for the right reason, right? They were never really there, if you really think about it. If they love the Eucharist and they love Jesus Christ, then why are they leaving over something political? Here's a real issue I have with all of this, right? And, like, I just want your opinion on this. Um, you read in Scripture, you read, like, the letter of St. Jude, you read Revelations, you read Peter's epistles, like, the end or, the end of the Pauline era. Because not all the Pauline epistles are written by Paul. A lot of them were written by his secretary and his, his apostles and stuff, right? right? So I'll say, like, the end of the first century and the second century, those letters. The, like, the last three or four letters in Scripture before you hit Revelation. So you have Jude, you have Peter, you have Hebrews, and then, well, I'm, I'm not going to count John. John's the last for Revelation, but John is clearly John who we say John is, right? Right. But all of them warn against false prophets. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm the only one. I feel like I'm screaming on top of a mountain when I say, Scripture tells us there's a reason that the Holy Spirit inspired the church fathers to include this in the canon, right? Which makes me realize the church, that the Holy Spirit must have realized at some point false prophets are going to come, correct? Correct. Because they put it in the canon. Sure. But that's why then you how come the Protestant Reformation. Think then, about those, those false prophets as well. Then how come every time someone raises the argument of a false prophet, in the context of Francis or some of the bishops in the church right now, it gets shut down instantly. Like it does, like that possibility, like that's not possible. Are you, is that like a question? Like why are people being silenced or? 
why are not silence necessary but why are people being like why is that it's in scripture i read scripture it says warn be careful false prophets when there's people that show signs of what the scriptures tell us a false prophet's all about well you can't talk about that well what do you think that pope francis is doing that makes him a false prophet i'd say ultimately i don't think he's focusing on the real issues of the church right now. But does that make him a false prophet? I don't think so. Okay, I, mean, I think so it's just another aspect of the church. Like you so said, there's so many aspects of the church. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with Pope Francis on some of the things he does. So on his, but, so on the presentation of the Lord, on the Feast of the Presentation, which is eight days after Christmas, right? Right. At Christmas season, so it's February 2nd. Uh, it falls on. He gave his general Wednesday address, and of course he talked about the presentation of the Lord and stuff. And he kind of talked about like, um, you know, no matter how hard a baptized person or someone presented in the church tries to run, the church is always a part of them. Great teaching. I, I, I approve of that. Yep. When you're baptized, the grace is always there. You're not running from your baptism. Even, But he went further to say, even if you were to denounce your baptism in order for you to leave the church, you're always a member of God. Okay. I get that. Still, again, I... I get where he's coming from theologically on that. But then he continues on to teach that anyone who leaves, like anyone who leaves the church, how do I put this in a charitable way or without taking out of context? Anyone who, anyone who leaves the church is still like, it, any, even if you leave the church and you denounce your baptism, he says you're still a member of the church. He says everyone who's a member of the church receives the same mercy and love from God in order to be saved in the end. So the way I put those together is I denounce my baptism, which I'm not right. doing, but I'm a member of the church still, according to his logic. Sure. And if I'm a member of the church, then I'm at the same mercy and love that everyone else has, according to him. So if I denounce my baptism and I'm at the same mercy of God... He's almost implying that salvation for all. Salvation is for all. Right. I mean, everybody, even, let me look at uh, Paul. He, he persecuted Christians. He was a terrible person, but. Everyone has the opportunity to salvation. Everyone has the opportunity for salvation, but you have to choose salvation. Like hell is a choice, right? Like that's like a great church teaching. But that's sure. a better way to understand hell. Like you have to choose to go to hell. Yeah. No one's banished to hell. Like you can always repent and you can always find your way. But if I denounce my baptism and I never come back, is he saying, well, God is mercy you, you're going to heaven. And that's how I took that teaching. Yeah. I took that as universal salvation, meaning, so what's the point? And then that leads me to what's the point? Why do we stress about parents baptizing their kids and catechizing and going to mass when, well, it's okay. God is mercy and you're going to be, you're going to, you're going to share in the same rewards as all of us. You spent our whole lives working for it. Oh, I see where you're coming from. Do you see what I mean? Like how I kind of connected the dots. But you also have to take into into, uh, consideration that that's that's just our job as Catholics to be the best that we can be and to do the best that we can do, you know? Okay. I mean, it's, I mean, the Pope isn't going to tell me how to, how to worship God, I guess, you know, like I said earlier, don't let the church get in the way of your relationship with God. We're going to follow Jesus the best we can, regardless of what the Pope says. Sometimes, you know, but I, I wouldn't call him a pro false prophet because he, he says that. I mean, everybody says things 
out of context sometimes, and maybe that's not how he meant it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I didn't hear what he said. I, I'm not. I didn't hear what he was. You know, yeah, what no, you're that's saying, fair. So I can't really like you know. So what, like so. I, Let's say you what I said you took as like how we interpret it, right? So you're hearing that is what I just said. Right, right. What would be the incentive for you then to practice Catholicism? If you're going to have mercy in the end and God's going to forgive you and bring you into heaven regardless of what you said about the church and baptism, then what's the incentive? Well, I mean, if, if I was that empty-minded, I guess you would put it, then I guess I wouldn't go to church and not care. Yes. Because God's going to save me in the end. You know, because I think that's the way the Protestants say that as well. You know, you just say that you're saved. Yes. The Lord will save you. Just, just say it. Just say you, you say believe it. in Jesus and, and you're, then you're good. saved. Correct. Yes. Right, right. I mean, it's, sure, I mean, that might be the case. Even though Paul cases, directly says not... faith without works is empty. And yeah. We know that. Yeah, but you can't be really, I can't say that, that whatever he said was deeply theological. He didn't necessarily write it down into church law. No, correct. You know, like, it's not dogma. So, he wasn't speaking ex-cathedra. Like, it was just a general assembly. It's no different than running into him at the water, like the coffee machine in the break room, and he said something like that. Yeah. And that's how I'm taking it. It's just, that was just the human Pope Francis out of context, just yeah. kind of said something. I think we see a lot of human in him, I should say. But, like, it makes <laughs> you think. If those are the way he's thinking, who's hearing that and who's taking that to heart? And who's in his ear? Like, if I'm a 14-year-old yeah. kid in my confirmation class, and I just heard the Pope say... Like, you're, you're good. You're, God has mercy on you. He loves you. You've been baptized. You're going through this now. That's okay. Do your thing. Be, be you. Be the individual you. And he's very focused on, like, that. Like, a very um, liberal approach. Yeah. Very just, like, be your own person. Don't let anyone tell you how to live. Like, God loves you. He created you in the image and likeness of him. And he's almost kind of downplaying the fact that there's still other things you have to do. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you have to work for it. You have to take it in context, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, I think you just have to take that into context with the the knowledge that you still have to fulfill those commandments. You still have to do your your seven sacraments and whatever it has to be. You know, you should just know better. I don't know. Maybe I think maybe he he just took it out of context. Or maybe he took it out of context. Okay. I'm not sure. I mean, he speaks a different language. So, I mean, is the translator even getting it right? Maybe it's more beautifully said in Italian. Yeah. I don't know. He said in Spanish because <laughs> he doesn't care about the church. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He doesn't speak Latin or it's, Italian. It's, uh, yeah. Um, Spanish is a, is a fun language. Okay. I, 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 I get where you're coming from, but I'm, I, I was just, I'm, I'm interested in your people's perspective on that because yeah. as a, a you're just an average practicing Catholic. If you hear your pope say, you're good. God's mercy's got you. Sure. Well, in my mind, I said, well, uh, you know, maybe Padre Pio didn't say that. I'm going to follow somebody like Padre Pio, or I'm going to follow somebody like Therese, or I'm going to follow somebody like Father Baker. Follow one of the great saints of the church yeah. who I lived mean, in. There's, there's so many um, different people that really teach the same thing. You just have to have that background t- context to it. You just have to understand it. What are some of your favorite Catholic movies? Are you a form guy? You watch foreign? I do watch foreign from time to time. Have you watched the John the Twenty Third movie? No. So there's like no. four movies on form that are about the popes. You have like Paul the Sixth, Pius the Twelfth, John the Twenty Third, and like John Paul the Second. Like the real twentieth century popes, essentially. And they all have like these three hour long. They're like dramatized documentaries. Like they're they're accurate, but they're like acted out. You know, so it's kind of like what do you call that? Like a dramatized documentary, right? Yeah, there's probably yeah. a more of a, a dramatization. Dramatization, of, right? Yeah, take it on. Take the bourbon. It's beautiful, <laughs> isn't it? That's interesting. Um, there's one on John the 23rd. 
and the church does not talk about how John the Twenty Third probably saved the twentieth century church enough. What a pastor! <laughs> like what a guy! That yeah. dude was on a smoke break in the Vatican Gardens, hiding from the the press. He, uh, and then he bummed a cig off one of the gardeners and gave him like a fifty percent raise. He was a well known smoker. Yeah, in the church, they said when he left the Vatican, most of everything was brown. The walls were brown. The carpet was brown. Boy, do we know someone who resembles John Twenty Third? Yeah, you know a couple of people. God bless her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, for 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 me, that's a movie I I found myself revisiting constantly. You I have, like the presence. The presence. It's I think I think it's called the presence, and it talks about the um, Eucharist really. Okay. I'm really a very Eucharistic Catholic. I really love Eucharist. I mean, I've really that's what really kind of draws me in. Unlike any other denomination, we're, we're the ones who have it. Yeah, you know, we're the only ones who got that right. We so. really have it down. You know, I mean, the, the Episcopalians could say they do, but I mean, it's, they just they still they don't. <laughs> then there's the <laughs> you know, that's the whole so, theological. You know, then there's the Anglican. So I never know how to feel about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Lutherans. You know, I feel I mean, sorry they, for they, the Anglicans. If anything, they're Catholics. They just had a king who wanted to get divorced. They're basically Catholic, yeah, except when it comes to the divorce law. Yeah, that's the only difference. Like you look at an angle. Well, now they have female bishops. They have openly gay bishops and whatever and all. Well, that. they've gone recently they've in a gone, little bit of a bad direction. But the yeah. the first three hundred years of the Church of England, you were a Catholic. You just you were allowed to get divorced. Yeah, that's the only difference. Yeah. <laughs> that was literally the only difference <laughs> for the first hundred years of the Anglican Church. Sure, yeah. they've taken it in a terrible direction, but. I, it's cool to see some traditional Anglican priests who are accepted into the Roman Catholic Church to become priests. Hmm. Oh, it's done in Buffalo, but, but there are some dioceses in America who have married priests because they came from the Anglican Church. Yeah. Like, praise Crazy. God, they I mean, came that, home. That's your way around it if you want to get married, folks. Yeah. <laughs> get married, have four kids as an Anglican you priest, know, if, and if then... If you really want to be a married priest, be in a, you know, an Anglican, Anglican for a little while and come back and, uh, you know... Never be the vocation that. director. Yeah, that's bad <laughs> Don't advice. Don't do that. No bueno. Celibacy is good. No thanks. Have you read the book by Cardinal Seurat and Pope Benedict XVI on pre-celibacy? The only uh, books I really read is uh, Fulton, Fulton Nation books. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's really, I'm, that's my guilty pleasure. I, I have an pleasure. app on my phone. It's free on Apple devices. And all of his homilies and all of his you talks. You sent it to me, but you got to pay for some of them. And I, I deleted the things. I'm like, I don't want to pay four ninety nine for a speech. Well, you can most of them on YouTube. You can most of them free. Yeah. But still, how cool is that? Like, I just go on YouTube and there's actually, there's plenty of talks Fulton Sheen on YouTube. I hope in 400 years from now, Fulton Sheen goes down as like a top five saint in the Catholic Church. We can pick, yeah, he's so yeah. He's American. He on his way to canonization? He is. He's a venerable. Mm. So he's he, he needs his first miracle to go up the blessed. But there's a little bit of scandal issue with him and uh, Rochester that's uh, being sorted out. Oh, Rochester. They're good for garbage yeah. plates, but they should stay away from Catholicism. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Is, is apparently. So I went to the to cathedral in Rochester, which is in Flower City, Rochester. So it's like just like south side of Rochester. It's the closer to Buffalo side of the city is the best way to put it in context. Yeah. Yeah. Caesar's there. He commissioned it, had it built. It's modern. I, I'm surprised for him. It's it's a very modern church. Yeah. You know they have a coffee shop. Sixties. Okay. They have a coffee shop in the lobby, okay. which already turns me off as yeah. a Catholic church. I mean, sure, coffee's great. But. Coffee's great, but, like, we'll go to the diner after Mass, or we'll go to, like, the Holy Name Society meeting of coffee. I don't need to do it in the lobby on my way in. But anyways, besides the gift shop and the coffee shop, <laughs> you put your blinders on and walk into the sanctuary. It's cool. The organ is above the altar. So while you're watching Mass, when the priest elevates the host, you're staring at the organ's back because he's up above the altar, like where the crucifix usually goes. Mm. And he's up there. 
because that's where the organ is. Wow. It's intriguing. Wow. I, I really like the choir lofts in old churches that are behind you. You know what's cool about that organ, too? Cool. Is he wears the traditional cope. So you see um, the, the beautiful cope beautiful, under that. The beautiful I traditionalism. Love that stuff, yeah. Oh, he, used my heart. To, he used to do um, you know, the regular Latin masses, and he also do, uh, he did a Byzantine as well. He was biracial. Crazy. That's one I, of my, I love the Byzantine. That's one of my favorite cool. pictures of him is with the Byzantine cross as he's professing in it the mass. So and I'm cool. like, that's empowering. Yeah. Last Sunday, we celebrated Latari Sunday in the rose vestments. And I'm like, nothing more empowering than a clergy and rose. Yeah. Do you want to know it's why? It's not it's, pink. You want to know why it's rose <laughs> and not pink? I know this joke. Jesus didn't pink from the dead. He rose from yes, the dead. Yes. I, I really I did know. I knew that joke. It just wasn't coming to mind. I hear it every Sunday, every Laudate, whatever it's called. Yep, you hear it every Gaudate and every Laudate Sunday. Yeah. Twice a year, I you get to bring out the rose test. <laughs> Nothing more empowering than a, a clergy and rose vestments. It's not pink. <laughs> Real you, men wear, wear this color. Real rose. men wear Pepto-Bismol bottle vestments. Last yeah, they're, they're still gorgeous, though. Oh, God. Oh. They're still beautiful. Even though, like, the Norvis Ordo mass vestments, are, they're still pretty. Bring back the fiddlebacks. For sure. For sure. Not, not that I'm discrediting them at all, but I mean, it's... You know, you know why I like the fiddlebacks? Is you can clearly... You put like a mural on the back of those you, you can clearly see the cincher, or whatever, you, there's different terms for it. You can clearly see the cincher, right? Yeah. The tassels on the cincher, and then that's the scriptural, the tie to the scripture where the woman touch, reaches out and touches the tassel. Uh, and all I think yeah, about at a Latin Mass is seeing the tassel. I'm like, I just have to touch it and I'll be healed because there's Christ in front of yeah, me. And it's like, yeah. oh man... There's a cool thing about that story. That that woman suffered a hemorrhage for 12 years. And I think in that same story, there was a girl who was 12 years old who had some kind of health issue. Mm-hmm. I haven't read the story in a little bit, so I'm not a little bit... But I know there, there, was, a, there was a correlation between those two. And the number 12 is a very biblical, 12, yeah. biblical number. 12 mm-hmm. tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. Yeah. I've read in the, uh, the those, what do you call those, incense things used in masses. Uh, the thurible? The thurible, yeah. Well, the Byzantines use those. Quite often. Always, yeah. Good and they, people. They have uh, 12 bells on it, but one bell doesn't have a little ringer in it. That stands for Judas. Really? Yeah. You just taught me something about the Byzantine, right? Or, yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, they have 11 bells ringing, but one of them does not ring. You know, we don't give Judas, cool. Judas enough credit. Like, ultimately, he did, at some point, say yes to follow our Lord. Yeah. And he may have went he, the wrong he did way in the end. Favor in <laughs> but like you know. in the like ultimately in the end he still and that's my approach to like a priest who I might not theologically agree with. He said yes. Yep. He's an ordained minister. Praise God. We need a lot of those. Sure. We're very short handed. Some of them are just gonna <laughs> you know, there's bad eggs in every dozen. And uh yeah, so so be it. Yeah. Do you think that's why like there's this myth, right? It's like some old Italian woman told me, and it's probably because the Italians are very Catholic superstitious. Superstitial. But like every dozen superstitious, there he is. There it is. I don't English well every once in a while. Me neither. <laughs> I'm gonna take up Latin. No, <laughs> yeah, might as well. Um, actually, if I could speak a language, I keep telling my girlfriend our kids are gonna only speak Greek and not English because the Greeks have such a better language than the English. I don't want to learn English, Greek, but I'm gonna send them to a private tutor to only speak Greek. Yeah, so they could talk crap behind your back in Greek, and you don't know what you know. That's fine. Praise Terrible God. Idea. Let God figure him out when purgatory comes around <laughs> for them. But that's fine. That's I not suppose. my issue. You can read it. Their purgatorial existence is their problem. I'm just going to try and get them there. That's the goal, right? I suppose. My I goal suppose. is heaven, but I'll settle for purgatory. Is that the I mean, the, purgatory the gets same you to right? heaven, but I mean, that's just, no. That's a good theological conversation. People differ in that. I've heard theologians say purgatory doesn't guarantee you can still fall from purgatory. Purgatory is still kind of a painful place. And, and, and I've heard other people say once you reach purgatory, you're eventually going to heaven. 
I don't know where Maybe. I stand on it. I haven't done enough reading. Obviously, we're not going to know until we're there. Well, I hope I get there. I hope I'm at, at least going to Burger King. The end of the day, that's my yeah, very next stop. I want to be uh, going to the right place. You know, I'm only here for blink of an eye. Might as well be uh, heading in the right direction. You mentioned something to me earlier that was really beautiful and profound to talk to You've recently become an adult server at funerals as one of your ministries here. You also chair up our pastoral council here at the parish. Right. But um, it put life into perspective. Can you expand on what, like serving at, uh, at funerals? Yeah, serving at funerals. Yeah, I think funeral masses are, are really nice because it also focuses on the fact that it is a funeral. It is the end of life for somebody. And it kind of puts it into context for you because you're going to be in that casket someday. You are going to be in that urn someday. So, Not in that urn if you're a Catholic. Oh, yeah. You could be, you could be cremated. Yeah, you can. I'm just you old can. I'm just saying. I'm just old Either school. way, you're going to end up there. You're going to end up dead. Either way, I'm dust and I'm dead. We're, we're not going to make it. At the end of the day, we're not going to make it. So, I mean, 100% of the people around here have been dying recently. So, um, so I mean, the, the, what I love about that mass is just that's uh, it puts into context that that's where we're going to. You know? And, and the wonderful thing about the mass is that it also talks about the resurrection. Uh-huh. That this is not the end. At the end of the day, this is not the end. This is a end, but sure, not the sure, end. Sure, your life is going to end, but I mean, uh, this whole process of, I mean, God's ways are so far above our ways that why are we so worried about it? If Jesus is going to rise from the dead, we died with him just as, just you know, in the baptism. Yeah. Then then we rise with him in the resurrection. Praise God. And if you have that kind of faith, then why worry? Pray, hope, and don't worry. Same Padre Pio. Yeah. No, it's beautiful because, like, so I pre plan my funeral. Some people think I'm weird. It's I'm twenty. I was twenty three. Yeah, you never know. Happy. You know I'm never like, know. you know what? I don't trust the people in my life to give me what I want <laughs> when I die. So at least I'm gonna make sure I get the songs I want. Our poor organist hates the song "Jerusalem, My Destiny." Oh. That's my favorite hymn in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. I said, if I die tomorrow, you're gonna have to buy that sheet music because it's the opening hymn of my funeral. You don't have a choice because it's on my planning sheet. Yep. So I tried to add a line specifying that I want the priest to wear black vestments, and they said you can't do that. That's that's a shame. That's why there are black vestments for those reasons. Yeah. And a lot of people choose white. All I mean, souls. Which is great, but. All Souls Day and uh, funerals. You can wear black vestments. Well, you and I went to a, uh, a memorial. We stumbled mass. into a rock mass at yeah, the Yeah, and they wore black. Everything was black. And yeah. I was like, well, that's actually pretty cool. I've never seen that before. And then, you know, I kind of wish they. You know, that I, black fiddleback with the black beretta. Like, I had I this felt... conversation recently with somebody. He says, your priests wear these these robes of all different colors. What, what's up with these colors? And I'm like, well, these colors symbolize something. Mm-hmm. They follow a church calendar and they actually mean something. It's not like they just wear it, whatever it's, whatever stylish. Imagine day. if you had a chasuble for every color of the rainbow. And it was like whatever you're feeling at the time. Imagine you had like a yellow. No, that, that's why you have Protestants. <laughs> We're gonna do what we feel today. We're not bad talking Protestants, but all no, Protestants no. are poorly catechized Catholics. You're right, <laughs> right, write that down. They're all Catholics at heart. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Buy my T-shirt. Links in the description. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, in the gift shop. In the gift shop. But yeah, praise God. Yeah. Ultimately, praise God. And um, it's the good fight we're fighting, isn't it? Yeah. Ultimately, it's, it's going to be... It's uphill, but I mean, uh, you know... Our Catholic faith is not going to get easier with age as we get away from this side. And it's so easy to get caught up in the romanticized. Like, man, I wish I was a monk or I lived in the 18th century. Everyone was Catholic. But now it's like, you know what? I'm blessed that I have to fight for my faith. Yeah. I kind of like it. Very it makes it interesting. Pride, you, you know? know what I mean? Like, you have to do something God is actively. teaching you something in every aspect of your life, and you just have to, you know, if you're going through something, just kind of think, well, what are you trying to teach me, Lord? Yeah. You know, that's really what it comes down to. You're going to learn something from everything in your life. 
So whatever you're going through right now, just pray. You know, what, what, are, you, what are you trying to teach me? Pray my kids go to and Mass it, after it their might, confirmation. Uh, it might take a little while. Pray my kids live up to their baptismal promises. <laughs> That's all I'm asking <laughs> my for. My unborn children. I'm simple. My unborn children, children the out there. God's listening to this. Just let my kids go to uh, not become, uh, you know, I don't you know, know. Let them all grow up to be priests and nuns. And... Let them not be Mormons. Yeah, yeah. I've thought about the effect if I had a kid, I would just send him to a monastery at four years old and just be done with it. Just give him to the church on my behalf. You, know, you think these monks really have time for kids? I would hope I could find one. Maybe not in this country, but there's other countries out there. We'll make some care. phone calls. We'll make some phone calls. There's a monastery in the Swiss Alps that makes monk beer. And I hope my kid you know, becomes... The, tra the Trappists make beer. Yeah, the Trappists in Switzerland. Because the thing is, is it's always sitting on a shelf outside of a refrigerated area. And I'm thinking that beer just went warm. After being shipped over it. from another country, continent. Yeah, I mean, I'm open-minded to drinking it, but I'm like, I don't know. It was delicious. It cost me $35 for one can off the internet. But I was like, you know what? It's you can get it at a regular liquor store. You can, but I wanted to make sure the money went directly to the monks. Oh, yeah, sure. So I ordered it from their website. I'd still be afraid of it because it was probably sitting on the shelf and got warm somewhere. Yeah. I'm still kicking. Oh, yeah. I don't know what my liver looks like, but I'm still kicking. Well, I'd like to try it, you know, if you ever want to spend the money on me sometime. You know what? <laughs> I'll I'm, consider. I'm just, you know, I mean, if I could drink it right there at the monastery, that'd be you know, sure. But so, I just don't trust warm beer. I think we have a guys weekend, and we get away from the wives, and we go to uh, Switzerland. We drink beer with monks for a weekend. We'll pray the hours, and we'll drink beer. Yeah. And uh, we might not come home, but that's okay. Yeah, that's cool. I'm yeah. going to leave the password to my computer and this account on my computer, and someone can take care of it if they want to. And if not, well, this was fun while it lasted. I'm gonna yeah, go all all we're going to need is our, our monk vestments anyway. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. We're going to be dust, and we'll we're going to die uh, eventually. And just put me in a wooden, uh, um, I almost said hearst. Casket. Yeah, casket. Casket. Too many funerals recently. Yeah. 100% of people have been dying. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Chances are not very good. Chances are not good you're going to outlive life, people. So uh, just, just be prepared. Or the wise. But yeah, you Christopher, know. this is a pleasure. Of course. We're almost at the hour and 20 minute mark. So, it's, uh, well, we're going to call, we're gonna call it quits, but it's absolutely a pleasure having you. Cool, man. Praise God in your, uh, your continued Catholic life, fighting course, the good man. fight for all of us lay people. Yeah. Cool. All right, then. Thanks, man. Absolutely.